somebody's manipulating the data, you know? And I saw that throughout that same day and the next day and the next days. And so you go, no, they're manipulating the data because things that should have streamed and trended never did. And you go, why is that? It's because they didn't agree with the thoughts, the ideas. And this is the thing. The medium has to be looked at neutral. Because here's the thing about today that you, you couldn't do in the town square when somebody was shouting. Yeah. You couldn't turn it off. You can turn it off today. You may not like what's being said. Turn it off. You know, I'm not a socialist. I don't like when socialists try to put their propaganda in my direction. But it doesn't mean I turn them off or that I don't think they should have a voice. I think they should have as loud a voice as anyone else. But I don't think it ought to be modulated or moderated based on somebody else's political views. Because if 10 million people want to hear it, and that's trending that way, then maybe, just maybe, that ought to be a voice that ought to be heard, not hidden. And even if you don't find it agreeable. Because a lot of voices said once upon a time that taking indigenous out of their homes was the right move, and the majority thought it was right. Mm. You need minority voices that you don't agree with at all, even if you have to turn it off or turn the volume down. Because without those voices, nothing changes in any of the fields of, of a human endeavor. Because the voice of change is the only consistent voice that we can demand and expect to happen and to silence a voice of change is to silence the very creative essence that we are, even oh, okay. when we find it repugnant. You know, even when we find it repugnant. You got to accent. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? If you feel like that's what you want to do. Hello, welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Got my little friend here to listen to Nick today. Hello. <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Nick Begich. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. All the way over there in Alaska? Right, right. And, <laughs> the the uh, other end of the world. The other end of the world. I'm right down here, down under in Sydney, Australia. Remember, if you like the shows and you like the conversations and the thread of the conversations, please like and subscribe and tell your friends about it and leave a comment. Apparently, when you comment under the YouTube, uh, YouTube shows it to more people. So I love the conversations I have on the shows. I think they're important for the advancement of human consciousness. And Nick is no exception. He's, uh, let me read his bio. It's quite extensive. You get around, Nick. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Dr. Nick Begich is the elder son of the late United States Congressman from Alaska, Nick Begich Sr., and political ad activist Peggy Begich. Well known in Alaska for his own political activities, Nick was twice elected president of both the Alaskan Federation of Teachers and the Anchorage Council of Education. He's been pursuing independent research in the sciences and politics for most of his adult life. Co-author with Gene Manning of Angels Don't Play This Harp, Advancement in Tesla Technology, which I'd like to quiz you about because I've not read any of your books and that one sounds fascinating. He's also authored Earth Rising, The Revolution, 
Towards a Thousand Years of Peace, and his latest book, Earth Rising 2, The Betrayal of Science, Society and the Soul, both with the late James Roderick. His latest work is Controlling the Human Mind, the Technologies of Political Control or Tools for Peak Performance. He has published articles in science, politics and education and is well-known lecturer having presented throughout the United States and in 19 countries. We were just talking before I turned the recording on that he was lecturing also down under in New Zealand. Have you been to Australia, Nick? I have. It's been uh, actually quite a quite a long time since I've been in um, in that part of the world. I think about 10 years, actually, because uh, I lectured in Australia a couple years before for Nexus uh, magazine. Okay. And then um, with the group, and I'm trying to remember the group, and, you know, during the, before we came on, I'm trying to remember, but uh, I just can't for the uh, life of me at the moment uh, remember. But it was a great conference, you know, and uh, met a lot of speakers from um, from that area and of course uh, brought us in from around the world and as these things go and um, it's always interesting I travel a lot I see a lot and uh, yeah I do quite a bit of radio as well from uh, literally around the world well I know I mean the rest of your bio says that you know you've uh, appeared on dozens of television documentaries and other programs throughout the world including BBC TV CBC TV and others and uh, have been guest on thousands of radio broadcasts. Right. Um, so you've, yeah, including uh, about your research activities, including technology, health, and earth scientists related issues. You've also served as an expert witness and speaker before the European Parliament has spoken on various issues of groups representing citizens' concerns, statesmen and electoral officials, scientists and others, served as a tribal administrator for the village planner for the, now I'm going to get this wrong. Chigaloon. Village Council, yeah, a federally <laughs> recognised American Indian tribe of the uh, Athabascan. Athabascan, Athabascan Indian Nation. Go for five years and served for four years as executive director of the Lay Institute for Technologies, a Texan non-profit corporation. Currently, you consult for tribal organization, private corporations and others in a number of research areas. Publisher and co-author of Earth Pulse Press, Press, Dr. Nick Beggage is a single person with five adult children and four grandchildren. I don't know, if this, right. is this up to date? Have you got any other grandchildren since then? No, it's up to date. It's up to date. <laughs> you can yeah. find him at earthpulse.com. That's your website. Right. right. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, it's, um, it's been interesting the last uh, few years uh, in terms of what, what I've been doing. But, you know, a lot of the technology issues over time, of course, have proven themselves out and you know, time reveals all. And what we were writing about now uh, 25 years ago and, and 20 years ago even is pretty much what we thought was going to happen you know in terms of mainstream uh, developments in technology areas and turned out it was uh, correct and beyond that um, you know none of it was really uh, predicated on anything but the data I mean there was a lot of information around um, and really you know the emphasis of the writing was primarily to wake people up to what was coming technologically and and i think largely um people were surprised in any case and continue to be by you know how technology advances and 
really what it does in shaping um, humanity in a lot of ways these days. Well, what's really interesting, I just want to quote something that I heard you say, uh, later than every human soul is the ability to change the planet. And really that's the thread of the conversation that we're going to have now because we can get, you know, we can look at what's happening and we can kind of go down that oh, terrible control sort of fear-based um, trajectory, which is not really where I go on the show. But what re is really interesting to me as I look around the world, uh, and this is what you talk about, uh, you know, technology has has exploded exponentially. But things like cars, like a few years ago, I was looking for a car, right? And I started thinking about cars. I'm a girl. I don't think about cars. I'm not like guys who think about cars constantly. And I started to think, so why are cars, you know, I have a 10-year, 15-year-old car look similar to cars. Like that hasn't advanced along with the technological advances we've had. Like there are so many things that have not advanced advanced and come up to speed or up to scratch and yet a computer is in an iphone it just there's a whole lot of things right. that do right. not I, make I, sense. I, I i totally agree with you you know it's really been entertainment that's increased not um things that make life really truly easier uh you know it, it's interesting your the conversation today because about a week ago you know i've had four thousand to five thousand radio broadcasts and only two of them did I end abruptly? Okay. And, and one of them was a week or so ago. And I got to tell you, because it was um, about the technologies, which I think are a symptom of the underlying problem, which is what we're going to talk about today is more of the underlying problem, which I appreciate a lot. Because in, in this instance, it was like the laundry list of every horror story you've ever heard about, you know, because there was a, there were two people that were guests and then the host. And, and I just wouldn't do it. You know, because it was all fear-based, you know, yeah. and when you have 50 topics, you're going to try and cover them in an hour, forget it. You know, it's never going to happen. Only thing you're going to leave is a lot of debris in the wake, you know, not too much is going to happen there. So I came off the call and let them do their thing. Right. And, and uh, you know, the technologies and all the things that you read about are really just symptoms of the underlying cause, which, uh, and this person had asked me before the program, um, and normally I don't do a pre-program because then you might as well do two programs. You know, you just do it. And uh, in that, I tried to say, because they asked me, uh, of all the issues, you know, all these issues, what's the big one? And I said, human beings are the big one because that's where it all starts, you know. And uh, bad behavior is where it begins. And that has to do with sort of how you evaluate yourself and then how you project in the world. And I said, all the rest is we get your conversations going, but under this um, is why does you know the world continue to wreck itself? Um, and what you're pointing to is the media, because media um, no longer is a reflection of the culture; it actually determines the culture and then projects it. And the way it works, um, quite frankly, is is pretty simple. Um, when you think about uh, human consciousness as such, most people can only hold a thought for a second or two. You know, if you go into a meditative state, try to hold that, you drift quickly. Very few can hold that focus. But what, what is known is if you could hold the focus for like a million seconds, your ability to project from the mind and what you are into reality becomes a uh, shorter distance between two points but most people can't do it but what you can also do is a different way 
because it's not about the individual in this case, it's about collective focus. So you can do it as an individual in a sequence of time, or you can get a million individuals to hold that million seconds together. Exactly. This is what media does. And when media exactly. um, can hold uh, the focus of people in this way, it actually triggers the actual um, creative expression within the world. And so uh, yes. it starts with a thought and then it's tied to an emotion and then it's projected into reality. And that's what determines whether something's a particle or a wave, for instance, in terms of the observer's interaction with it. Exactly. And people get a bit confused about all of this, you know, and you hear, um, and I don't want to offend anyone. It's just a point I want to make because there's a lot of, uh, misinformation not intentionally so sometimes sometimes just ignorance okay and and i i get that but uh, but i want to clear up a couple of them and one is uh people use the word frequency incorrectly a lot and they say like this particular person that i'm relating to that, that i couldn't do the show with viewed themselves as a frequency and that's not what we are okay because that's like the pause between heartbeats, you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, it's something along the way, but it isn't what you are. Uh, what she was trying to say is that we're energy interactions of wave fronts, okay, is what she was trying to explain, which is the idea that energy uh, wave fronts interact and you create matter from that energy interaction. And we perceive it as a solid or we perceive it as an image. And in terms of the image perception, it has to do with bandwidth of the human tra uh, 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 transducer, the human body. Because, for instance, in vision, we, we see this much of the electromagnetic spectrum, this little short bandwidth. Yeah, we see a tiny, now, tiny perspective. Tiny bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if certain species see the ultraviolet and the infrared, you know, sort of the edges of this, but they see it really clearly. And then you can look at sound waves and our ability to interpret the frequency of sound or the pulsation of sound, the, the vibration of sound is narrow. It's about 150 pulses per second up to about a quarter, uh, up to about 25,000 pulses per second. You mean perceivable sound? Yes. Or, or that what and then we can... what we can hear with this yeah. little instrument. Yeah. But a dolphin, for instance, can hear 10 times the range, a quarter of a million yeah. cycles per second. Yeah. And then certain species can hear extremely low you know, frequency sounds. So it's not that they're not there. It's just we don't perceive them. So our perception is limited by our bandwidth. Well, yeah, and our perceptual experience is predominantly through the five senses, except if you're somebody like me and many of the people that I've had on the show, and, and I suspect you as well, that's why you're on the show, where we're perceiving with our intuitive or sixth senses or psychic senses, which gives you a broader bandwidth on the spectrum of frequency, right? Well, I would say, yeah, I would agree with that. I would say it's uh, perceptual, but to lock that up is pretty easy to do. And uh, in this, what I know about that is if you can keep people in a steady state of low level anxiety, uh, low level stress, low level fear, then you can't reach these states of consciousness because the brain doesn't work that way. And you can monitor it with EEGs. You can look at it. There's a few people that can kind of bust through the fog, but that's um, not the, I, let me say this. It is the normal, but it's not our experience normally. 
because everyone has the capability. It's just a question of what blocks that. And fear and anxiety are the first block that's the easiest to impose to keep you from uh, being able to proceed within that bandwidth. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't. Uh, because when you look at the brain in in the in the areas where these phenomena occur, it's or where you hit the zone if you're an artist or an athlete, where you hit these specific areas, they are when the brain is slowing and when there are coherent uh, rhythmic patterns within the brain uh, frequency if you were to observe it. Whereas if you're like most people, you're you're functioning with uh, erratic brain activity that. It's kind of all over the map. It's almost like a uh, low-level flight or fight response that the culture brings on us mm-hmm. by the very nature of it. Because the information feed, if you think again of the programming you're receiving, not the program you're watching. It's not how it works. Yeah. It's the programming you're receiving uh, in, in terms of information and then how you interpret that information uh, through your filtering system, because everybody has one. And then uh, how you translate that into reality. And when you have mass media doing that for everybody and then sort of pushing the herd along, it's relatively easy to do. Um, And you can keep people in a constant state of sort of unawareness while you're doing it. In a constant state of anxiety, which is what I see pretty much everywhere. uh, I, you know, I first started to like cotton on to this, what you're talking about. When Princess Diana died, Lady Diana died, I'm watching the television. My little brother was staying with me at the time and he goes, oh, Princess Diana's been killed in a car accident. And I'm like, no. And I turned the television on and I'm watching this outpouring because we were like it happened maybe overnight in Australia. It was the morning, this outpouring of grief. And I'm thinking, why are people crying? They didn't know her personally. I mean, you know, there was this like it was their mother that died or their daughter that died. Right. Like, and I just was sort of confused. I looked at the television and thought, why are they just like this outwork? And within 24 hours, I was doing the same thing. And I looked across the and the world seemed to be crying. And I went over to a girlfriend's place and she was absolutely beside herself with grief, like wailing. And I remember thinking, she wasn't a relative of yours. It was just bizarre how there was this mass, like it happened through the media. There were these constant images of, and then people crying. And it just felt like the whole world was crying. It was really, and I started scratching my head thinking, what is going on here? This is really weird. I mean, it's tragic. We see people die all the time, but why is the world wailing? Yeah, anyway. Well, most of it is pushed um, uh, in this, what you're seeing in the current context is mostly pushed um, emotionally, not intellectually. Uh, If you think about what you see sort of playing out, uh, even in that event or even in the more current news, it plays out that way. What you're not seeing uh, very much of, or it's played out totally intellectually and there's no heart in it at all. Um, and it's the combination where there's real power. And here's the difference. Uh, and this is what I would say is a significant difference. When you take um, um, the zombie crowd of most passive viewers, okay, because that's really what's going on. You're sort of passively there. And I'll give you the good example. When people come home from work and they're fatigued, most people have the pattern of watching the television or a video stream of some kind. They, they go into that place, uh, their spouse is hollering, dinner's ready, dinner's ready, and they're totally oblivious because they're actually in 
a very light trance-like state where the information that they think they're watching is actually the programming because it comes in in a, in a very powerful way and anchors in a powerful way, provided it doesn't um, unduly conflict with your existing belief systems, but it's a matter of how do you sell the message, you know? And so messaging is coming in all the time and it comes in in the advertising feeds, which if you really look at them, they mostly generate some form of fear, whether it's for a deodorant or toothpaste or bad breath or whatever it is that you need to worry about in life, it's on there for you. Or the nine different uh, drug ads per hour that are now running in most parts of the world of stuff you can't even buy if you wanted to because you're not an MD. So you have all these things creating this underlying sense of fear yeah. and then the shortage of everything. You know, you're always short, right? You're short of money. Um, and yeah. money is even a fiction because it's just a piece of paper backed up by a promise that means nothing unless the government's strong that week. So, you know, when you look at sort of the vulnerability of people, it, it, this is part of what adds to the fear. You know, 150 years ago, most people were self-supporting, self-sustaining. They were 96% agri, farmers, entrepreneurs, really, but they owned their land, their labor, their means of production. They could do something. They didn't worry about what they're going to eat. Might have been poor, but they didn't worry about what they're going to eat. Today, you're plugged into an artificial consciousness that feeds you everything from what to think to the power grid. Um, and that lack of independence breeds a certain level of instability as well. And so when you look at sort of the, the new version of modern um, culture, um, you have the veneer of freedom, you have the idea of freedom, but when you really analyze how most people live, they don't live very freely. Um, they don't live with very much liberty and they don't live with very much uh, awareness. They live in a loop um, of getting up and going to the cubicle and coming home from the cubicle and zoning out and being told what to think in the culture that uh, oppresses them from every angle outside in, telling them what to think, how to believe, and what the group think is for the week. And that, I think, is what's... Um, leads to a lot of the fracturing that we see within individuals and culturally, because that's not what human beings uh, actually are. Well, yeah, the social, uh, hip, hip, uh, can, uh, what am I looking, what's the word I'm looking for? Conditioning, social conditioning. Look, this is why I actually started the show. I think, you know, you asked me why am I putting you on my show when it's not the normal conversation that I talk about. But actually, this is why I started the show around 10 years ago. I'd studied an energy healing uh, technique and the woman who was teaching it had been married to a hypnotist. So we studied the brainwave frequencies and we spoke about brainwave frequencies and, and what occurs when you're in different brainwave frequencies. And, we, and basically the work that we were doing was in a theta brainwave. And, um, you know, yeah. she spoke about how when you're in a theta brainwave, when you're very relaxed, you know, more relaxed than even just memory like you, you the more relaxed you are the more access you have to like memory or super consciousness or whatever um but when you're open like this you're very receptive like you're like a sponge like a child is like a sponge most children are operating under the age of seven or ten in a state of brainwave and they they just are absorbing information and they and she sort of said you know, she said that, you know, this is what media does to you, music, television, radio, puts you in a very relaxed, you know, either low alpha or high theta brainwave. So the messages that are coming in are going kind of bypassing 
the analytical mind and going mostly into the subconscious. And I, when I heard that, I thought about television and what it's doing to us. And I thought about how the media is basically hypnotizing us all to believe in this perpetual stress, really fear. Just the messages, like, like you say, Nick, like every, right. every commercial is based in fear. You don't have enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not slim enough. You're not rich enough. You're not healthy enough. Right. And, right. and I right. thought. And, all the, and, and you think how complicated everybody's life has become um, because of it. Uh, and, and I would say unnecessarily so. In fact, I think the population would say, and I think most of us would agree, in the West, the population is getting sicker, yeah. not better. So all of this isn't adding to our health. It's, in fact, stripping us of it in lots of different ways. Um, but, but again, you know, thinking about, you know, what's the underlying rot? And when you think about um, fear-driven systems, like think about the guys who drive the, uh, the big uh, conglomerates of, of the world today. And a lot of these guys um, are very materialistically based in terms of how they view the world. In other words, it's really finite from their perspective mm -hmm. they're going to live and they're going to die and whatever they do is going to happen in between those points and from their perspective so there's a lot of fear kind of built into that you know and as a way of being if that's how you perceive the reality to be and that's really a a perception from ignorance because physics and quantum physics and a lot of the science today points us in a very very different uh, direction but the way um a lot of uh, these guys or some of these guys are pursuing this is through the idea that maybe we can save what they think is consciousness or the mind or whatever they perceive themselves to be. Uh, intellectually, somehow we can maybe save that in a circuit, you know, save that in a piece of software. Um, I, I think they're going to be disappointed, but the point is um, augmenting physical form in order to extend the life on in, in the earth is a lot of these people's uh, game and you can do that. I mean, in the stuff we're learning physiologically about ourselves, you know, we, we're going to do that. We're going to do that a lot. You know, we're going to be able to stand time lines a lot, uh, but it's still a grain of sand on the beach of eternity. If you think about what, it, what your energetic self is all about and what you really are. And if you look at it at a physical level uh, from the time you were born in your little personhood is like this in the physical form uh, you and I definitely don't have any cells left from that period uh, in our existence on on the earth so we're really a bit disconnected from the body form anyway if we really start to think about it uh, and then if you look at the physics of it you, you, you get it uh, you know that at least intellectually even though you're still experiencing this thing in this carrier but the point is um, I think this then this fear of this is all there is and it's all material is what drives a materialistic world and the results are what you see. Yeah. Um, so why would you expect anything different? You know, it's, that's yeah. what I was raising saying to this other person was, look, how, you know, I mean, if you're going to do it that way, this is the outcome you can always expect. The only difference is now we have the layer of technology on top of bad behavior, you know? So it's still humans behaving badly in the same ways humans always have. And it's their lack of um, recognition uh, of what we are and then uh, behaving accordingly. And so there's this drive, I think, by humans naturally to uh, duplicate or to try to replicate what nature does. So we look at nature around us 
Um, and then we kind of separate ourselves from it and then we start analyzing, you know, and really we're in it. We should be seeing it a little bit differently. And, and I think that's the shift that's um, happening also. Now, there's a lot of disruption I see that's deliberate, that's yeah. intended to fracture people into their, uh, and they uh, do it through a lot of, um, a lot of very careful uh, word and symbol engineering. Well, we know. I think a lot of the people that watch my show knows that there is this um, mass sort of collective control going on in through media outlets and all. But what is the solution? You know, what can we do? I, I don't think humans are inherently bad. I think we're inherently good. I think we're inherently, you know, we come from a realm of the conversations we have on my show are about being multidimensional, infinite beings, having a human experience like this experience, this one life is just one of an experience in eternity, one chapter in the, the eternal story of our soul. So um, many of the people that uh, watch, tune into my shows, you know, have come to the earth to make a difference. They're here to make a difference inside this conversation that we're having now, inside this mass media control like how can we make a difference what's the solution well i think we're in it um that's what i would say about that is uh people put way too much emphasis on uh what's big what's small what can i do what can i do and, and i i don't think it's it really is so much of that um at this point i think it's a matter of people doing what they can do that's right in front of them and doing that and doing it differently which usually requires a different view of self than the one that exists. And, I, and I'll say a few things about that within the context of, of uh, where the correction begins, because I, I had this really long conversation with a rabbi a few years ago and it was about, and I'm watching the guy, we're in this conversation and he's a, he's a lawyer and a rabbi for a friend of mine. So we're in this three way conversation, my buddy's house and the rabbi is just really running himself down, you know, in kind of a, an obvious way, complaining, the victim, blah, blah, blah. And I had about 30 minutes, I got a little sick of it, really. And I said, Rabbi, I said, do you believe you're creating the likeness of an image of God? And of course he says yes, because they believe in Genesis too. And, uh, and I said, then why are you uh, uh, engaged in uh, blasphemy here in this conversation with me and the way you're degrading yourself to such a level that doesn't sound very divine to me? And I caught him a little bit, you know, because then we had a real serious conversation for about 10 hours about what that means. And, you know, and this is the thing I see in the world right now is I hear a lot of people talking about this, but not treating each other very divinely. In fact, I see a lot of people doing something I think is self-destructive. They're tolerating each other. See, and I don't believe in tolerance as a concept because tolerance is self denial it means you shut up and don't say what you really believe and think or feel for some politically correct reason or some other cultural reason some other reason that runs against your nature so that becomes sort of self-destructive what i think is better is that we accept people where we find them even if we don't like where we see them and this is a very different thing because this doesn't require self-hatred and a lot of people decide they want to go do these good things in the world because after all, they need to do these good things. And a lot of good things turn into a pile of dung and not the fertilizer we thought it was. 
And, you know, I give a case in point, in your part of the world in mine, children at five and six, indigenous children were taken out of their homes and raised somewhere else, right? That happened in Australia, that happened in Alaska. And, you know, it happened to people our ages. You know, I have friends that that happened to. And I can tell you that was not a good thing on any level, by any consciousness of any human being that I know living today would agree that that was a good thing. But it was a good thing then. So there's a lot of things that we think are good that aren't necessarily so. And, and so we, we need to be a little less hard on ourselves, you know, in terms of what we are. Be a little more forgiving for ourselves because that was the only route to forgiveness with others. And then I think taking it that, that, uh, that next step is to see each other in that divine framework demands respect, even if you do not agree, even if you do not tolerate their untruth from your perspective, you can still accept them right where you see them. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't mean, yeah. And I think that level of acceptance goes a long, long way. Long way. Whether it's, you know, and it's not, uh, when, you, when you're seeing somebody uh, who's, who happens to be waiting on you in a restaurant, are they a waiter? I would say not. They're a human who happens to be waiting tables at that moment. They're usually a budding, they're usually a budding um, rock star or movie star or writer or poet or yeah. scientist. They're usually, you know, they're usually you know, in between dreams. something yeah. or that's what they do and they do it really, really well. And yeah. the point of the matter or I'm energy making healer. is, yeah, I mean, here's the deal is uh, when the Buddha's in town and the parade is going on, he isn't in the parade. You know, it's these people, the silent ones, the quiet ones, the ones that are doing something every day because they, A, believe it's right and good and make their best effort. That is what is required. That returns power to you. Instead of saying, oh, I can't, I can't. Forget about that. Do what you can, you can, you know, and that's it. That's called faith. Faith is doing what you know you can do, not what you don't think you can do. Yeah. That's that's a pipe dream. That's somebody else's stress. That doesn't generate a thing if you don't believe you can do it. So start with that. And here's what I know about that is the things that constrain us from our humanity is our belief systems. What our we stick systems. in there and it's our, our programming. Belief, our belief systems, which are predominantly come from, well, first of all, our parents, our peers, our educational system, society, but predominantly they're perpetuated and held up through a mass media, through the through a media system. And you know what yeah. I what happened for me was as I was doing a lot of personal growth when I was younger and looking at what I believed about myself, I'm not good enough, I can't, I'm not worthy enough. I I soon began to realize that much of these ideas came from you know, this sort of social hypnotizing coming out of the television. And, right. you know, the thing I struggled with the most was the money thing. I like really looked into, um, I never just, I, I came from a wealthy family. Mum and dad hated each other and tried to kill each other, got divorced. And then dad married about 16 other times. No, no, he married a few more times. <laughs> you know, it was like drama, drama, drama. And there was always this stress around money, sort of coming from riches and then this stress around money. and what I began to see was how this not enough is perpetuated, especially through, and it's still, and I still am a victim of it. And most people are, especially through advertising. And it's this discounting. 
you know, somebody that sells a product, which is me, you know, I work as a healer, therapist, uh, coach, guide, whatever channel. Uh, people come and see me when I discount, like because there's this idea that you're getting a bargain, I don't have enough, you know, that we're just perpetually inside this, I don't have enough, there's not enough. Something that I saw in India when I was in India years ago, there seemed to be this accelerated not enough, there's not enough space, there's not enough time, there's not enough money, there's, there's you know, too many people and it just seemed to be just accelerated in a place like India where this not enough hypnosis was just rampant and um, yeah. it's a lie. <laughs> there is enough. Yeah. And we yeah, have to start say. saying that and believing that I am enough, there is enough, I have enough, there is enough money, there are, you know, there's enough health, there's enough time, there's enough space, there's enough beauty in this world to do whatever I need to do. Yeah. Well, and think about, um, again, as uh, and let me take this a, a little bit uh, further even, in terms of separation, when you think about um, the self that, as you were saying, how your parents shaped you, your culture shapes you, all this shapes you, you come into the world pretty much uh, tabula rasa, you know, a, a white slate, a blank slate. And, and as you come into that, into that blank slate world, then you have the feedback coming. And you have feedback. So your sensors, again, what we were talking about earlier, begin to pick up the feedback and you understand language at some point. You begin to pick up the word symbols and link them up and begin to attach, oh, I'm this. I'm a, I'm a male. I'm a, a child. I'm an American child. I'm an Alaskan American child, blah, blah, blah. And you start layering all these things that the world tells you that you are. But you're actually none of those things. You're what you started with, and these are um, experiences that are um, that are laid on you, if you will, but they are not you. And this is where the confusion becomes, because then, like you say, the money thing, you know, with your family, uh, growing up in that environment, and then having the conflicts. Now, I've, I've in my lifetime met several billionaires with a B, and they're actually the most unhappy people I know. And it, and it doesn't have to do with their money having a lot of problems or not having enough money. It has to do with the failure to focus on what's important as a human being and whether it's race, cars, or money, or women, or men, or whatever it is people are interested in as their primary focus for their physical form. Um, usually they find that comes up empty. You know, at the end of the day, they have it. and They go, well, what do I have? An empty bag. Uh, you know, and because it's the human being and your relationships that matter at the end of the day. And everyone, in fact, I would say this, there's like a, the polling that's been done is in the mid to high 90s in every instance. When they poll people on their exit, when they're leaving this world, none of them think about one more day at the office. Unless they're total sociopaths with no friends, which... There's quite a few of those these days, you know, especially running big corporations and government. But laying those three out of five aside, most people, you know, when they exit, it's about their friends, their families. You know, those are the things that they wish they had done more of. And those usually don't cost anything, you know, because phone calls are darn near free anymore. I'm yeah. even talking around the world, right? There's no excuse for not having communication with people. Yeah, and then okay. showing up is a little easier than it used to be, but that's hard for a lot of people because, as I said earlier, most people are stuck in some cubicle relationship about what they have to do each day in order to make the pile of money they think they need to survive. 
Um, which I get, I get all that. I understand all that. And I think there's abundance. So I don't think there should be a shortage in that. But think again of the model most people function under. Before, 150 years ago, people owned the things that were, that produced wealth. Okay. Because things that you could actually make a living from and produced wealth. Well, they don't have that now. Most people rent their cars, rent their homes, have jobs. And in between that job, they have little pieces of paper, little green slips or in Australia, you got some more colored paper, so it's a little more pretty. You know, in some places, they make it out of plastic instead of paper. But the point is, it's, it's the stuff between wealth that people think is important. That's why you never feel secure, because the only thing that really creates wealth, if you study economics, is labor, entrepreneurship, land and natural resources, and things that make things, like shovels and factories. And so... When you're a farmer and you've got all those things working for you, you don't think much about the air in between, which is the money that transfers between each of those four things, no matter what you're doing in the world. So we've gotten away from those four things to the point where now we run on fake wealth called money and stock certificates. And we think that's wealth. No wonder everyone feels insecure because the basis of it is insecure. It's ether. It's a piece of paper. And so you start out your day waking up worrying about how many pieces of paper you have in your pile, and it's not even real. And then you're going to go and you're going to buy food that's not real, and you're going to get health that's not real, and medicine that's not real, and government that's not real. And, and then you're going to wonder why people are stressed. No, we know why. In fact, the way it comes at you, it keeps you in this constant state of stress where then you only see yourself as a taxpayer and a consumer. And those are only little things that you do. They're not who you are. So to get back to who you are requires time. And that also gets stripped from us if we look at how the world comes at us in so many ways. Um, and we were talking before the show, and you asked me about my holiday. And it's not really a holiday, but my life's a holiday because I actually work in areas I love. So, you know, what do you say? You know, it's kind of the way it works. And I like what I do. So I can say that. Um, not that it's not stressful. Sometimes it is. But um, but I think that's really a, where it's at, you know, is a little more self-forgiveness, self-reflection on what we are, treating other people that way, accepting them where they are, doesn't mean we have to. And then they get this dialogue. And I get, I, I'm tired of hearing, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. Well, I am. I'm judging. You know what I'm judging? I'm judging me. I'm judging me and how I'm going to have a relationship with you or anyone else that I come into contact with. But it's about judgment, about what my values and my system is measured against what I perceive the other one to be. And that sets my perimeters about me, not them, not whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, just whether I'm going to interact with them or not which is my right as a human soul to decide how I spend the one commodity I get no more of in the physical world, time. I get to decide that. And that's what makes us all equally wealthy because we have that. The thing that the billionaire on his deathbed wishes he had a second more of, and we all have all those seconds right now to do something with. And that's what we need to do. That's how the world changes. We how, do what we I know. Gonna, how am I gonna spend my time being more loving? Now, um, what is Angels Don't Play This Harp Advancements in Tesla Technology all about? Now, that was your first book co-authored with Gene Manning. What's that book about? I've not read it, but it's got an interesting title. Uh, you know, um, boy, it's such an old work for me, all right? And this is where my work started. Yeah, 25. 
25 years ago. So HARP, H-A-A-R-P. So here's what I would say about that in the context of the question, because it's a fair question to ask. And, and I would say this about all my books. My books were all about technology within a value system. How do you deal with it? And HARP was one. And then the other books were multi-technology uh, books, the Earth Rising series, and, and then later the uh, Mind Effects book. And, and all of them really said the same thing. Then there were nine smaller books, too, that nobody knows about. But, but the, there was a lot of material. And what it was was things I personally am interested in that I would take the time and, and then uh, document um, the research and point in direction. Like in those books, those four books, there's 1,650 plus source documents cited. And they're not phone calls and phone booths. You know, these are real source documents, science papers, media reports, things you can go to and put trans on and, 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 and touch. And what we intended to do is, was point out sort of the direction where all this was going in the hope that some of it would, would go a little bit differently. And some did, uh, most didn't. Um, but, but what I would say is, and I, and I said it from the beginning, is the biggest thing in all of it is not, was not the discussion of the technologies. You see, it's the window dressing that gets us in the conversation, not that those things aren't important, they are, but they're symptoms of what your show is mainly about, which is the underlying causation of these symptoms. And the symptoms generate a lot of fear and have for lots of people over, over you know, generations in some cases. But, but, but my take on it is having the knowledge is one thing, but then as you say, what do you do with it? And, and here's where all of it kind of ran into the same direction. It, it all was about um, controlling people ultimately, these technologies, about how to manipulate billions of people on the planet to do what a few would like, and not thinking in terms of some big organized conspiracy, just a conspiracy of greed and self-interest and fear that kind of makes a squishy, ugly road to ruin. And that's what we see in the world. And so what has to change is how we view ourselves as starting point. We have to start to forgive ourselves a little bit, um, grant ourselves the ability to move mind and heart together, which is also left and right brain together. Uh, you want to uh, see ultimate IQs? It's when hemispheric balance occurs. Right and left, creative and analytical are working together. The same, you could say it symbolically, head and heart. You could say it a lot of different ways. Bottom line is the two, the two aspects of what human creation is about come together and then you speak it in a word and stuff starts to happen. That's how human creativity in three dimensions works um, generally. But behind okay. it is a huge force of energy. Okay, That's very. the thing that we try to touch. But behind everything is an even bigger force of energy, and the force of energy is our own connection to our own soul, right? It's the infinite, the unified, the quantum unified field of infinite possibility. I mean, that's behind everything. Yeah, I agree. And, and regardless of how we're being hypnotized by media and conditioned and most of our stressful thoughts, well, actually all of our stressful thoughts are perpetuated through a system that is, you know, caught up in control. Yeah. We have access to that quantum unified field of infinite possibility and we can be the genius creators of our reality that we want to be. You know, I was having a conversation and this might not be where you normally take your conversations, but I'm going to go there. So I have an online group called The Inner Sanctum. We had Susie Hansen on yesterday and Susie Hansen wrote a book called The Jewel Soul Connection. Have you heard of Susie? 
She's a New Zealand woman. So So it's about her um, connection with the greys, the ETs, the greys, and um, how she's up on craft and she's learning consciousness technology through them as well as hardware technology. And the conversation that we were talking about is, you know, they've got technology um, that they're trying to sort of give to, she calls it bridging technology, that they're trying to give to the human race. Like they've got this scanner, which we have a rudimentary um, scanner like it. We call it an MRI or even that there's, um, you can put a scanner over someone's uh, body and you can pull out the blood vessels. So a nurse can scan where the blood vessels are so she can give you an injection. So they've got a scanner that pulls out any aspect of the human body. It could be the lymphocytes. It could be the bones. It could be the blood vessels. It could be you know, the, the, the hormones, uh, endocrine system, and this tiny little technology. Anyway, so the question I pose to her is, if they're so advanced in their consciousness technology, why do they need this hardware technology? You know, because they can actually scan the human body with their mind. In fact, that energy healing course that I did all those years ago, taught by the woman who, who was married to a hypnotist, taught us how to do that. It's called medical intuition, looking inside the body with your with your consciousness and and seeing what's going wrong or what's going right or fixing it or whatever. And she said, well, they've created this bridging technology for us human beings. And then we were talking about much of the technology that we use like Zoom, for instance, we we're talking about telepathy and how they can compartmentalize telepathy. If you think that we're reading each other's minds, you would think that it would be an open door and I could know everything that was going on in your head, right? And there would be no privacy whatsoever if we all communicated telepathically. And she said, no, actually, they can compartmentalize you know, different aspects and sort of block off what they don't want you to know and and project what they do. And you can do that on Zoom. You know, when you message people in a group, you can block off somebody and message one or two or message the whole group. And so we were looking at technology being the forefront to what we're going to do with our consciousness. What do you think about all that? Um, Well, you could look at it that way or you could look at the opposite direction. Um, I think technology is the uh, cheap and tim. imitation of uh, what we can do naturally yeah and and why you know and i think um at the same time uh, like a lot of what i researched out with the the whole aspect of uh government involvement and brain research and mind research consciousness research and what they were looking for and the thing that they came away with was um probably the least stated thing in all of uh the contemporary stuff discussing it. And it's the idea that the, the thing that we talked about fear and anxiety being the way to dampen all this, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't take much. Um, and then at the same time, uh, the idea of being able to entrain a population into a, a either a passive or an aggressive or some other state of awareness, uh, you can do that pretty easily with a lot of different mechanisms today. That's not something that's unique. Um, you can do it a lot of different ways. The, the thing that, um, that also happens is what I see right now is that the human beings also create defense mechanisms for these things. And these are our natural attributes, which when they're needed, they show up. And so I think we're seeing more of this uh, showing up, what the government now refers to as anomalous human potentials. 
these kinds of things. And they did their own work in this area. You talked about telepathy. Uh, there was uh, Captain Tyler for the Air Force did a lot of this uh, work. He's kind of, he later became a colonel before he retired. But, and he interfered with a lot of people's work in this area. Because I know some of the research scientists that were involved in specific work in the area of telepathy, as an example. And uh, the physicist I know doing the work in that area and her uh, late husband was um, an electrical engineer, and they actually developed apparatus that would do this, transfer thoughts between people. And, you know, needless to say, there's a lot of controversy about that, and um, and they decide to do other things. They end up doing astrophysics and geophysics. They're smart people. Um, but but what was uh, the big fear of, of, of government then was that maybe these things could be uh, triggered in people, and then you know, you don't have an invisible government. And the idea of compartmentalization um, only goes so far. Uh, I would say this about that is uh, I've had occasion where I've met someone that had that capacity in a really complete way. And I can tell you, um, A, it's a curse, and B, uh, you don't have a way to compartmentalize what you'd like to hide from someone who has that capability, I can tell you. You might think you do, or you might like to, or they might be polite, well, but they can drive right into the depth of who you are um, pretty readily. Absolutely. Uh, unless, you, unless you are really deliberately doing something and maintaining it, most people aren't awake enough to even think about that. So, well, interesting. Look, absolutely. Look, I hang out with a lot of psychics and healers that we, we do. We can read it, everybody's thoughts, right? We can know who they are. And the woman that taught this energy course, she's told a story of when her um, psychic abilities really clipped in, she was shown that she was bringing up some young kids, she's in America, that her neighbour, like the guy next door, was raping his stepdaughter. The, you know, the woman next door was having an affair on her. And she just, she got to see all the, you know, dysfunction that was happening in her neighbourhood when her psychic abilities started to really kick in and um, well, she was already psychic, but they started to expand and she went into fear and she thought, Oh my God, I live amongst these people. They smile at me every morning and stuff, but they're all psychopaths. <laughs> Let me get me and my kids out of here. And then her guidance was, look, we didn't show you this for you to run. You know, we showed you this because you're the healer. You're here to help these people. You're not here to run from them. And so that's when she started, she opened up shop. And when people came for their healings, you know, because they had health problems or emotional problems, she revealed to them what she had seen. Some of them didn't like it because they were like, I thought that nobody knew that I was raping my stepdaughter, you know, like they didn't like right. it. But, <laughs> right. um, or a daughter or whatever. Uh, but she was able to help them, you know, overcome their stressful thoughts to think that you need to do something to get something that you don't have, like to rape a family member. So um, it was an interesting story. And uh, so things are being revealed not to judge them, but to help them, really. And I think there's a lot of psychics around that see, yeah. you know, that see the dysfunction going on. And it's horrendous. Yeah. But we're not yeah. here to judge it. We're here to help it. Yeah. yeah, and here's my thought about all, all that too. Is um, you know, it, it's you all. Everyone has a right of free association. Sometimes, you know, it's not your mission, right? I mean, for lots of different reasons, and that's okay. Uh, but at, at the same time, I think a lot of people do things out of um, a sense of guilt 
mm-hmm. you know, and and that usually does doesn't bring you anything good. It usually brings you something just as messy, mm-hmm. you know. Because I mean, I see that play out too. Oh, I've I've got to do something, you know, and I feel so badly. And I, a good example is the homeless issue in this mm-hmm. country, and in my part of the world. You know, it's it's not a homeless issue. That's the name people have given it because good people who are living in normal lifestyles would say, boy, the first thing I would want is a warm place to be, mm-hmm. a home. But if you're homeless and you have a drug and alcohol problem or mental illness, maybe the first thing you need is mental health tra- help, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or drug and alcohol help, not a, not a warm bed so you can perpetuate those continual behaviors, which a person in that situation most likely would because now they're freed up to not have to worry so much about this aspect, focus more on their dysfunction. And that's what happens when we let guilt drive it. True compassion meets people where they are without judgment about them, but it recognizes where they are and then embraces them where they are and then allows them to take themselves to the next place and they're there to help them. We don't do that very often. And sometimes it's an intervention that is a little rougher than that because it's not about being poor, being a crime. It's about being poor, maybe having bad habits that are criminal behaviors that need to also be addressed. But we don't want to penalize someone and keep them down. We want to lift them up. So we have to meet them where they are, recognize dysfunction when we see it, and then we meet people where they are and we lift them up. You know, and it might be physically, it might be in other ways. But I think that's where we uh, fail as a culture and as a society, because we judge things through our vision and our vision is blurred. I'll give you another example. And this is one that happens all over the world. People come in from the developed, so-called developed world into the third world and they see poverty and they begin to interpret what all that means. They begin to make judgments about what all that is and they begin to want to change all that. So they get in there and they start attacking all those problems that they see, but those weren't the problems. They were the problems for them if they were in that position from their experience viewing the world, but they're not them. (laughs) And perhaps where these people are is economically impoverished, but maybe culturally rich, right where they're at, right how they are, leave them alone might be the right answer. Mm. You know, because what you see might not be what's being experienced by those living souls of those bodies, because it isn't you. And this is, again, where, you know, we're too quick to make judgment on what's good and what's bad. It's okay to make judgment about what's good and bad for us. That's fair. Yeah. Because we have a right of free association. That's fair. We don't have to associate with everybody. Some people can't. It's not in their nature. It's okay. There's a great uh, TED Talk. I think it's a French businessman that did exactly that. He went over to Africa wanting to you know, heal the world and made more of a mess. <laughs> anyway, he doesn't, he, I can't remember his name. You might know who I'm talking about. Uh, and now he lectures all over the world about uh, what not to do and how you know what to do. And it just, it, it's just along the lines of that conversation. Now you go out there trying, thinking you're going to do good in the world, but you make more of a mess than, I think he was planting, I don't know, something anyway. Um, Okay, so I saw a conversation with you online as I was sort of watching some of your conversations before this, and you put up some statistics, which was kind of frightening. Uh, you know, Americans think that everything that's going on, is all, it's, it's, all, it's only happening in America. <laughs> but you had, some, you had some statistics of Asia. I think you said 
there was like 4.5 billion people in Asia, which incorporates China and obviously India and all the other Philippines. And then I think you had like half a billion people in America. Is that the Americas? Like, is that including South America? Yeah, I mean, America, U.S., I think it's 300 million, 350 million, something like this. And so the it's half not, you know, I mean, it's just a fraction, right? I so mean, the half a billion people was including South America as well as North America. I yeah, think I believe it's North Canada and U.S. Okay, so, you know, when you look at those statistics, like you look at Australia, we're not even a drop in the ocean. Like, we're 25 million people. We're just so tiny. But um, when you look at those statistics and you look at our world globally, and the consciousness of our world, you're like, if this world's going to change, it's because of this collective consciousness. It's not the one individual. It's the, like you talk about, the mass media knows how to shift. Yeah. So but what is what happening in Asia? Like what's happening with four and a half billion people in Asia? Like well, that is, you know, that's the, most of the world, it, right? Here's the thing is, is if you can't, if they don't connect the intellect and emotion together, you don't get the same power, okay? You get some, you know, you'll get something going on if you can get a bunch of people to focus and fear in a certain direction. But if you can get people uh, to harmonize their uh, intellectual and their heart side or their right and left, if you can get that engaged and then you get people engaged with that together, then you've got the uh, formula that in most traditions it's two or more gathered together, blah, blah, blah. And what that is, is it's a resonance. Okay. And resonance is a, is a word, you look it up, but it's also a formula. And the formula is X plus X in brackets, right? So X plus X, that's you plus me. And then outside of the brackets, it squares the energy. Yeah. Okay, now it's you, you know, you and uh, me multiplied. Yeah, okay, you now get, you start stringing exactly. humans together and you put resonance in that factor. And now when you talk about frequency, the beat between, now you got amplitude, right? which is the resonance. Now you've got power pushed into this form. So when you merge uh, emotion and intellect, and then you merge that together with others in harmony with you in that moment, now you push power into the world in a way that changes it fundamentally. What they cannot do with media, because it doesn't have the intention driven by the individual contributors behind it it's blind so it has some power it has the appearance of power and it does have some but nothing compared to the energetic power of harmonized humans with emotional intellect together pushing into form and this is where it's important that when we engage the push into form we each do that which we know absolutely that we can do that's a step of faith. It's yeah. the simplest one, the easiest one to ever arrive at. And it's the one you take in front of you that you know is possible, not the impossible, because that creates anxiety and fear. And then you can't do it. It won't happen. It just won't happen. So, so Nick, what you're doing is you're explaining scientifically or mathematically what people like Jesus have said to, you know, when two or more gather in my name and um, my name being love, you know, not Jesus, but like love. Right. Uh, and what the indigenous tribes have known forever. You know, what's really interesting, I've had this fabulous consciousness teacher called Penny Kelly on the show and she talks about consciousness and how to amp- amplify it. And 
you know, movement, because we are these uh, electrical systems, actually when you create movement, you amplify the energy, the chi, the energy, you amplify consciousness. So the Indigenous know that they do these dances, right? They have an intention, they have a focus, they have a mantra, and then they dance it. And that amplifies together. They come together in groups. Like I'm thinking of American Indians, you know, like the uh, Australian Aboriginals are the same. They know how to create through this coming together with focused intent and then heart intent and then movement. And, you know, they know how to amplify consciousness and create what they want through these rituals. You know, what's happening in Sydney in Australia is just masses of sound healing and kirtan and drumming and young people coming together in joy and love and peace and singing and dancing and drumming and uh, it's kind of like going back to those indigenous ways really and they're shifting our world through this coming together with this one intent and putting the heart into it and then putting sound into it and movement as well. You know, I see that um, and I I understand that and what I would say also about this is it's, there's two routes to uh, manipulation. One is through the heart and one is through the head. But they're never able to do it when both are engaged. Okay. This is the important factor that humans need to remember is the head and the heart need to be engaged. When they emphasize only the heart, you're missing too much and you're going to be driven and you can be manipulated just as easily. If you're too much in the head, so how would that not... Look- how would How someone emphasize look, just the heart? What would that look like? Um, it would look like a lot of the demonstrations you see played out in the world by the left right now, that they end up being violent. They end up not having any tolerance for discussion. They just want to argue, fight, and re-examine okay. the, the problem. So people They're that, not interested in okay. talking or communicating. Okay. They say how they, they, they're functioning from this framework that's not being played out in the actions they're engaged in. You know, the framework is love, tolerance, consideration, but the way it's acted out is confrontation, violence, and, and conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so these, these run counter each other, but I understand it, okay? But I, I also see that there's a better way. And, and the better way is if people truly, if they truly believe in the divinity of the human soul, then they are obligated to treat each other accordingly. That's the challenge, and that's what's being missed, and that requires the head and the heart to come together so that when you are expressing what you feel, you can also tell people why, and that's what makes things change because then it's about filling in the information gaps because when you see each other as divinely created, you can't be disrespectful to one another. But you can also recognize that most people, there's a sociopath, but we already talked about that. But most people come to a conversation with the idea that they're right based on their logic and their emotions and all those things. So the trick is, if you really want to know, and I do, what takes a person there? What logic stream got them there? Because once I know that, if I'm really listening for that, I'm going to discover one of several things i discover what information i'm missing that they have that i need right so that changes the way the conversation runs instead of thinking about my next argument i'm really focused now the second piece is that i'm listening for is after they're all done what do i know that they did not say right 
Okay, now I have something to contribute that's not emotion, it's information. Okay, and then what happens in that is chances are one of three things occurs. I agree with them, they agree with me, or we both agree that we're both wrong and we come up with something new. Yeah. But that started by the dignity that I hear from the left and I hear from the right is our primary motivation. The dignity and respect of the living human soul. And let's start doing that. That's easy enough if we believe it. Otherwise, it's just it's just dung and it's no longer fertilizer, is it? Well, so, you know, this is it. It's about that. And if we believe that, we can have discussions. We can disagree, but we can recognize that our disagreement isn't because we came at it in, unless it's that we just come at it emotionally then. Okay, then we're going to walk away still disagreeing because we didn't get there. Yeah. Now, there are some times where the words don't work out so well. Okay, let, let me give you an example I used the other day on another program was when I say bribery, the picture Westerners get is a guy with a bag full of money handing it off to somebody to get something out of it. So it's like about getting access and getting an outcome, you know, so you hand them the bag of money. That's called corruption, bribery. Now, in the West, we do it differently, but the rest of the world sees it as bribery, but we call it something else. We call it a campaign contribution. <laughs> Yeah, we laugh about it. But if you're in India, you say if you eat your dinner, you can have dessert. That's bribery. Right. Okay. You know, but here you are. You know, you're in India watching this game played out. We give it a nice name, and we have a committee that oversees it. So we have a committee that oversees the handoff of the money that gets some access and outcomes. But we we feel good about that within our cultural context. We don't see the corruption of that within our cultural context because we've wrapped it in a nice package of words that make it feel good. So, you know, really, you know, when we start to think about uh, communication, what's happening in the communication game now, it's about, you know, the narrative, right? The package, we wrap the BS in before we feed it to you so that the wrapper looks good, but the flavor is still bad, you know, and that's what we're doing here. And so we give it a cultural wrapper. If you're in Australia, you get the Australian wrapper, you get the U.S. wrapper, you get the Ecuadorian wrapper, the Bombay wrapper. Now, yeah. in Asia, what you got is 4 billion people that are about to roll into the middle class in the next 30 years. Right. Okay. This is going to change everything about everything. And in the middle of that, you have technology that's doubling every six to 10 months from the invention of the wheel to where we are in this moment. And keeping up with that isn't even worth trying. So when people say, oh, what's the worst technology? Humans, because we're not keeping up with this wave. We have to get into the meat of it. Now, how many humans does it take? One, the one who knows which screw to turn out of the millions and billions of screws to turn in the world. It takes one. That means everybody is equally positioned to turn the right screw by doing something. Because those somethings create a critical mass in the world, and sooner or later, poof, you hit it. Which one is it? Is it a smile you made to the guy walking down the street that didn't blow his brains out? Or the fact that he went on and cured cancer? Did you do it, or did he do it? I'd say we did it. So do that. Do the thing you can do. That's what I keep saying, because that is the solution in all of this. If you're the research scientist and you're brilliant, use your brilliance to do that, to, to do what you can do. But you know, uh, the thing that happens too, the brighter you are, the more brilliant you are, the more difficult it is to find consciousness in the mess because you're too much in the head, you see, <laughs> you know? 
but that doesn't mean the guy can't get there. He'll get there. He'll get the same way everybody else does. Who's too much in the heart? You know, because I, how you get there is through trauma I've and just through been, experience. Have you ever heard of um, Jean, the guy that started the? Oh God, names escape me. The Venus Project. Jean, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, he died in his hundreds a couple of years ago. The Venus Project. He designed a whole new society. He designed. He was just a brilliant inventor, technology. But what was I? You look at him, and and from my perspective, I'm like, oh, he's totally channeling this. He's totally getting this information from his galactic guides or his spiritual guides. But he was a skeptic, and he like he was like, no, it's all me. It's like what I see is many brilliant people who come up with unbelievable inventions are tapped into consciousness, are tapped into the unified field, and they are receiving that information, but they don't understand that and they say oh no it's all me you know it comes back to i'm brilliant i'm the one that came up with this um that's kind of when you go yeah i was just going to say i i would suggest um a a different model just Uh a little slightly different and and what i would say is uh the the way that's looked at is um uh you can't go find something that you already are. Right. Okay. I, from my perspective, the guy who says it's all me, you know, it's all me. I did it all. There's no conscience out there. I did this. It's my genius. Okay, cool. That's fine. It's like a cell in the body of a human being saying, I'm the one who's driving the truck. Okay, man, I'll give you that. Cause I need you. Yeah. But in terms of the bigger picture, yeah, you're an expression of, uh, of, of whatever this creation is. And, and that's it. And so, what I see is humans are nodes on the same consciousness and it squirts out through our experience in and out, in and out. Think about it. Uh, somebody even used this analogy for me once and it's like the flicker in a fluorescent light, you know, it's flickering so fast. You don't know it's flickering, but it is, I mean, right. you can measure it, you know, and you can mm-hmm. slow it down and see it, you know, but you can't perceive it. And, and in some ways, how we look at the world is that flicker rate where consciousness, the whole consciousness kind of comes in, gets to look around through your eyes and drops back and gives it back to you. So think about that kind of oscillation between your awareness, which is like your ego self, the part that's Mm -hmm. in the world, and your awareness, the part that observes the ego self in the world. So now the trick is to get the ego self in the world to realize, hey, that's not you. That's the wrappers everyone wrapped around you called experience or people telling you you're this, you're that, blah, blah. No, you're not. That's just your wrapper. That's your ego. But the wrapper gets a lot of experience. That's not worthless. And that's something people forget. This is valuable experience we gain here that the ego gains here. And Mm -hmm. the ego knows all about using and all about the drama and all about the BS. But the awareness knows how to keep the ego in check. So it's your servant, not your master. Oh, and it's the tenant, the tenant in the hotel, running the hotel. You're the landlord, you know, and we got to remember that. We forget that really easy when we fall into emotion. You do forget that. Without intellect. You, you've just hit the nail on the head. This is what I say to my clients all the time, you know, love that aspect of you that's ego, that separates, that divides, that criticizes, that judges, that, that rapper. But don't let her drive the bus. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, the, let the higher self drive the bus and put the ego in the back seat. 
say. Just I'll give you another analogy. Uh, this is the analogy I use for this because it's a good one, and it's uh, and it's a Christian analogy, and it's the point in which Christ is baptized by John the Baptist. And here's the story. You know, he, the dove descends on him, which is the third aspect of God, right? It's the uh, power where the stuff happens. You know, you got God and you got his first son, then you got the power, the third aspect. Okay, so the third aspect falls on him in the form of a dove. Poof, he reaches uh, what some would call enlightenment, what he would call his mission begins. Because remember, before that, he was a carpenter, you know, banging oh, nails or some right. people say. Okay. Mm -hmm. A bricklayer, right? He was that. So it, it was all those things. He had a job, you know, something most ministers don't have. <laughs> 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 but even God had a job, right? Okay, so so he had a job, and, and then he had this thing. Now, what did he do after? He goes out in the wilderness for 40 days, which is symbolic of a generation or a lifetime, okay? Uh -huh. So for 40 days, he's in the wilderness, and he's being tempted by the devil, as the, as the story goes. That's his ego. Yeah. So, hey, man, you can have anything. Hey, hey, you know, you can have the whole deal, man. You yeah. can be king of the world. You can have it all. And he's like, no. Get out of here. I know what I can have. I know who I am, but I don't need this. I'm doing this, you know, and in the word words, get behind me, Satan. And what he was really saying is, hey, I'm driving the truck, not my ego, that side of myself. You're the passenger. You do what I say. Yeah, you're a good carpenter. If I need some nails banged, I'll let you know. <laughs> and you get on with the program. <laughs> you know? and this is it okay and there are metaphors that are uh, uh, instructive in that they tell us something about ourselves that this aspect of who we are when the left and the right brain come together then this third aspect drops in which is the power of what we are as created human beings mm -hmm. this is what that message is all about it's about reminding us through that example in a way that people kind of kind of figure out maybe sort of you know but the deal is it's two aspects of ourselves coming together that creates an internal resonance a self resonance you resonate with yourself the amplitude increases you plug into the universal and voila you're there and we just having an earthquake here right now you know as i say it you know yeah we are it's a pretty good one yeah Seriously, I saw your yeah. camera shaking. You're having an earthquake. Yeah, wow. It's not too bad. You can look it up online and see what it was. <laughs> oh, well, that's a but, sign, isn't it? They're like, they're liking what you're saying, Nick. They're just shaking it up a bit. They're clapping. They're all applauding you, Nick. And the place is rocking. Yeah. Hey, it's a timing. I remember once I heard a minister do this, and he goes, and then there was a mighty earthquake. And we had one, and everyone went, wow, that guy's pretty good. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> Well, I gotta say that's a first for a show to have an earthquake during the show. That's hey, fantastic. You know. There we go. I Welcome to Alaska. Oh, do you have lots of earthquakes up there? Trim. Oh yeah, we have them quite a bit. Yeah, we had a big one here last last year around over seven, so it's a big one. But yeah, we have them, and you know, we we have them. So what do you do? There you go. It's eleven eleven. I've just looked at my clock. There's lots of synchronicity happening right now, Nick. Okay, so lovely conversation. How do we tell this to the politicians? <laughs> well, you know what? Here's what I think is happening is I do a, a, a lot of radio and I do it all across the, from the most conservative and the most uh, liberal in terms of political uh, persuasion. Well, you do. And I'm, I'm, yeah, and being on yeah. my show is quite a different to the types of shows that you're on because, you know. Yeah, and I, I do everything. You do it all. Because people need to know. Yeah, people yeah. need to know. And, 
And the things I'm, uh, I'm doing now, like you asked about my book on HARP, and I really don't want to talk about it, and, and I really don't. And the reason is because is anyone who wants to know what that's about can go online, and as you saw, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of places you can go and find out all about that. So it's like an old message for me. And again, those are symptoms of what I see as the most important thing, which is the, the thrust of what we've been talking about today, uh-huh. which is what do you do about it? You know, uh-huh. really, what do you do? And I'll tell you what is really, and I appreciate your program because we're doing that. And and as I say, uh, we don't know who that one is, you know, or when we touch that one person. And what I said before, I meant, I meant completely. And I want to say it again because I want people to hear this again and understand what I'm saying is you can walk down the street and do something. And it might be as little as a smile to a person walking the other direction. And that person might have been contemplating blowing their brains out and decided not to because of just that little bit of true human kindness expressed with intent. Because that morning you got up and said, you know what, I'm going to make a point of looking people in the eye as I walk through my day and say, how are you doing and mean it? And maybe say more than that and mean it. And, and draw people out in a different way. And I'm going to do it. And you do that to start the day off. You're going to have a great day. And what you trigger in the pond of life when you throw that pebble in, you have no clue. You know, no clue. And nor should you have any attachment to it except to know your intention was good. Your heart was clean. Your mind was focused on what you want to do that day. And you set about doing it. That matters. It matters in the big picture. It matters in the short and long run. It's not done enough because people are constantly told you have no power. Someone else has it all. And here's what happens about self-image and self-actualization. As soon as you do those small things, the way the brain works, it grabs your life back from all these things that say you have no control. And your brain goes, oh yeah, I have control again. I'm I'm, I'm in control. I can do things again. I'm powerful again. I'm a human soul again that can create and do things. And you begin to do it. And you find the next thing that you do, you see clearly in front of you and you do it. And what happens after about a year or two, you'll go, wow, I'm doing stuff two years ago. I never thought I could do. Right. You got it. You only did what you knew you could do. And now you arrived where you never thought you'd be. That's how you get there. You do what you know you can do. You can have a big picture, you know, have a big vision. But if you don't believe you can reach that vision, then make a smaller vision until you find the one that you know you can reach. And when you reach that, you'll get the next one. I guarantee you'll get it on the way. Don't be so concerned about the end as next step. It's interesting. Jack Canfield Canfield described that, you know, Jack Canfield wrote all those books, Chicken Soup for the Soul. You know those books? Oh, anyway, little compilation, little stories of people's you know little stories lots of compilations of people's stories of miracles and all that sort of thing that you're talking about so he became quite famous and uh, he said you know when you're driving a car in the dark you can only see the headlights you know it's just like a couple of meters in front of you um, until you keep going and then you, it illuminates you know so that's what you're talking about do what you can do do what you can see do what the is illuminated right. And then as you do that, something else will be illuminated and you keep going down and you'll get to um, 
where you think wherever you want to go, wherever yeah, you think you're right. headed. <laughs> I think and that I say we're keep it a little loose, you know, keep it a little loose because you might not be, uh, you know, I mean, you might have a general idea where you're going, but you know, sometimes life will give you opportunities if you're aware enough to see them, yeah. you know, and you might miss them if you're too focused at the end. That's why paying attention to each step in front of you also gives you a chance to enjoy the richness of it. Because here's what I see a lot of my friends doing these days, a lot of people doing these days. They're so focused on this thing they're going to do that's way out there in front of them. And you know what catches up with them? Time. You know? And I would say this about that, is people who are working way too hard and way too many hours and way too much, find a way to simplify your life and breathe again. Because it's only worth doing if it leads to three things, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At least in my country, that was the theory that's been lost in the practice. So we need to remember the theory and make it our practice again. And to do that requires the kinds of things we're talking about today, which is rethinking our model, rethinking sort of how we come into the world, and then what part of this experience we decide is us, because none of it is, mm. you know? They're all snapshots, little photographs, little snapshots, if you will. You can hold them up and say, oh, yeah, I remember all this stuff at that time. But that's all it represents. The true action is in what you do, how we relate to each other, how we uh, engage our technologies. You know, because in the 21st century, uh, after all, technology is what will decide if our governments and our countries are strong and powerful and weak. So as individuals, understanding a little bit more about the technological aspects that frame and shape our world, make sure that they're framing and shaping our values also, or at least providing the platform by which we can all find that level place for ourselves, not have it imposed on us. And now we see the big giants of the information world, you know, really deciding, well, maybe the world isn't thinking right. We should help them along. This is the stuff we need to guard against. Well, yeah, I've heard you say that you're not on Facebook. You know, the talk about the big information people. You know, Facebook's one of those big information people. And, you know, I've had this conversation with my brother who sees Facebook as the enemy because he watches mainstream media and he sees kids being committing suicide because they get bullied on Facebook. And so he decides that Facebook is the enemy. And I use Facebook for my work and have thousands and thousands of friends on Facebook who are all having this, this consciousness conversation. And so we're spreading that awareness through these information platforms like LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube yeah. and iTunes and Stitcher Radio, Mixcloud, Soundcloud. You know, I'm using these platforms to spread this message of connection to our power of creation is through our connection to our, you know, the head, the yeah, mind. Absolutely like the heart, the, the mind together, you know, connecting to the higher, the quantum unified field, the higher sort. And so we can use technology to feel victimized or we can use it to feel empowered. It's just a tool sure. that we can Absolutely. use. And that's what yeah. I'm using it all for. To spread yeah, I, I have no, yet. yeah, I think that's good. And I think that's, that's great. What's happening though with that tool is the owners of that tool are deciding who gets to speak. Well, and in too many it, mediums. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And then how it's decided on what decides to trend. If your political speech is not theirs, you're not going to trend because they're actually affecting that. And I've seen it. I saw somebody's uh, YouTubes go to 12 million, then scale back to nine. How does that happen? Somebody's manipulating the data, you know? And I saw that 
throughout that same day and the next day and the next days. And so you go, no, they're manipulating the data because things that should have streamed and trended never did. And you go, why is that? It's because they didn't agree with the thoughts, the ideas. And this is the thing. The medium has to be looked at neutral. Because here's the thing about today that you, you couldn't do in the town square when somebody was shouting. Yeah. You couldn't turn it off. You can turn it off today. You may not like what's being said, turn it off. You know, I'm not a socialist. I don't like it when socialists try to put their propaganda in my direction. But it doesn't mean I turn them off or that I don't think they should have a voice. I think they should have as loud a voice as anyone else. But I don't think it ought to be modulated or moderated based on somebody else's political views. Because if 10 million people want to hear it and that's trending that way, then maybe, just maybe, that ought to be a voice that ought to be heard, not hidden. And even if you don't find it agreeable. Because a lot of voices said once upon a time that taking indigenous out of their homes was the right move, and the majority thought it was right. Mm. You need minority voices that you don't agree with at all, even if you have to turn it off or turn the volume down. Because without those voices, nothing changes in any of the fields of, of a human endeavor. Because the voice of change is the only consistent voice that we can demand and expect to happen and to silence a voice of change is to silence the very creative essence that we are, even oh, when definitely. we find it repugnant. You know, even when we find it repugnant, we gotta go, ah, we gotta it stinks. <laughs> hey, we don't have to well, listen. You know, we like there's, so, turn it there's off. so much more to this conversation. I wasn't gonna get into a political conversation because, um, Everyone's got their opinion about what's happening in the politics in America, but it sort of looks like that that voice that people don't like screaming and yelling actually might be, and you're actually, you've talked about that, might be doing uh, more good than, uh, than it's not. But we're not going to go there. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation because we're no, like I, run out of time. I think it's, it's all manipulated in that sense, and it's because it's easy to push people one way or the other. And this is what I would say to everyone listening. Don't be pushed around anymore. You know, take your power back. So Start listen to your inner questions. voice, Nick. Listen to the That's inner voice. That's right. Connect the head and the and heart and then listen to Connect the, the head and the heart. That's that, right. The inner that voice tongue. is your consciousness. That's yeah. the voice of consciousness. That's you talking to you through that voice that says, hey, man, there's a way. And you're not alone in that. You know, that voice what connects you and me and connects everyone. That's the single consciousness that we actually are that we forget about. Now we need to remember. And in that remembering, and that's what I say, it's not evolving, we're not evolving, we're remembering. We're already evolved enough, we just have to remember and act on what we know to be right and true, the rest will reveal itself. Our intuition will increase the more we use it, the more we'll hear it, the more it will activate in our lives and the more we'll change the world, because that's where we'll start. Absolutely, we're not evolving, we're remembering. That's beautiful. I, I think uh, in the book's conversation with God, God says through Neil, uh, to remember is to once again become a member of the body of God, to remember. I thought, oh, beautiful. And actually I call my sessions, the private sessions I do with people, reminders from home. Because I agree, I, I think that we've all got access to this infinite intelligence and we don't need to learn it. We just need to remember the connection. We just need to remember who we are. Nick Begich, it's been a joy and a pleasure. Hey, thank, thank you so you. much for being on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure and uh, my best to everyone down under. And uh, 
around the world, wherever we're being heard uh, today yeah. and in the future on this uh, podcast that I suppose will be out there for eternity, <laughs> as long as the internet lasts. <laughs> as long as I'm not censored. Maybe I'm being censored. I'm talking about hey. love and light. I'm not getting. Hey, you the, never know. I'm not getting they the same. Got there yet. <laughs> I'm not getting the same patronage as the people screaming about fear and anxiety. But uh, maybe I'm being censored. Who knows? But I do believe in a higher power, and this message is going to go to the people that need it, and I let them handle the details. You know, maybe it's exactly. five people that see it. Maybe it's five thousand. Who knows? You know, I I'm not in control of that. So only takes one. Hey, thank you very much for having me. It's been my pleasure and uh, perhaps we'll do it again sometime. Beautiful. Well, what did you think of that conversation with Nick Begich? He's, um, he's got a lot to say. I didn't really know whether his conversation was the right conversation for the show, you know, because we have kind of a different conversation here on Accentuate the Positive, right? I'm not accentuating the negative or the control or, and he does tend to talk about that but in saying that, he's so, you know, connected to his own soul and consciousness and sense of, um, yeah, sense of inner power, really. And uh, I, I don't know, I saw him online and I sort of I saw that connection of, of that head and heart that he spoke about. And it's beautiful to have an intellect on the show that's, you know, coming at the world's problems from an intellectual perspective but also from a heart-centered sort of spiritual perspective yeah so it was a beautiful conversation kind of went over my head in some parts he starts talking about x plus y and squared and you know the maths things is never something that I was really into but interestingly enough the way he explained it I was like oh, I see that now because you know when you see all that stuff written down well I do anyway I don't have that sort of mind that can look at a blackboard full of um, X's and Y's and squares and stuff and make any sense out of it. But, um, yeah, he made me see a little bit of sense when he was talking about that, when two or more come together in my name. So really what we were talking about is stay in your heart no matter what happens, <laughs> whether you're listening to politics, shouting about things that you don't want or, you know, politicians or when you're listening to people talk about the control drama or the 5G that's going to fry our brains or all the horrific stuff that's happening in our world. Stay in your heart. Be logical about it. Stay in your heart. Stay loving. Be kind and gather and um, get into groups. You know, if you're someone that's watching this show that's alone and you don't connect with people who are having this conversation, do it. Either do it with me online <laughs> or find physical people to connect with. Like go on Meetup uh, or just look on Facebook. There are so many groups on Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever you find people in your suburb or society and get together with them. Talk about love and talk about consciousness and sing and dance and drum and play. It's powerful. It is powerful. What did he say? X plus X brackets squared so what that actually meant was you know when two consciousness focused consciousness two people with the same thoughts come together and talk about it or sing about it or pray about it you don't double the energy you square the energy so when four comes you know you start to amplify this energy out into the world five come together six come together a hundred come together thousands come together you start to amplify that energy out into the world and it makes a huge difference in this world. 
it makes a huge difference. I think of football matches where people are focused on footballers. But that energy that when that group people come together, ooh, so that's why mass meditations are so powerful when people come together and meditate. And, you know, that happens on the internet all the time. People are saying, okay, at this time, even when you're in your home, sitting on your couch alone, we're going to come together with a singular focus at the same time and all focus on that, you know, all meditate on world peace or love or whatever. It works. It's powerful. That's how we make a difference in the world. Yeah, clean up our own thoughts and then come together with others and have a singular focus on love and light. Yeah. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. It's a little different to what I normally talk about. I'll be uploading either before or after this the um, snippet of the conversation I had with Susie, which I talked about. She was in the Inner Sanctum, talking about the alien technology and consciousness technology and telepathy and how they can... Oh, it's just, it was fascinating. It was just fascinating. I just loved talking to Susie um, in the Inner Sanctum. So I'll upload some of the highlights. I might even upload all of it because it was such an important conversation, even though it is a paid, you know, the Inner Sanctum is a paid thing. I'm not going to get rich. Oh, I should say, I'm going to get rich. <laughs> careful what you say. Careful what you focus on, right? Anyway, it's very inexpensive. And um, so it's available for anyone who wants to join and have these personal conversations with me and my mob or the guests that I invite into the Inner Sanctum. I think Frances Reiki's coming on next month, who is one of my favourites. She's been on before. She's the scribe and the author of the team books. And we look at some of the teachings in the team books, which talks about collective consciousness. Her mother, who was an Australian, married an American, went after the war to live in the United States and brought up her family and left her body in 2010. She said to Francis from the other side, you know, you are not alone. No one ever is. No one is alone. You're a part of a team, a spiritual team as close to you as breathing. So we're never alone. Ever when, even when we think we are, we're sitting at home alone. We're not alone. We've got this spiritual team that's as close to us as breathing that is communing and communicating with us all the time, all the time, all the time. Some people have called it God, some people have called it angels, some people have called it guides, some people have called it galactic guides. But there's a team of different streams of consciousness, different frequencies. We are multidimensional and we are connected. We are all of it, really. We are all of it. So, uh, yeah, listen to the team. So Frances is going to come in, hopefully. I haven't spoken to her about it, but she did agree to come in at the beginning of the year. And we're going to talk more about that, the team books. can't remember who's after that. I know Courtney's going to come in towards the end of the year. She channels Krishna and Isis and she's pretty amazing actually. We'll get to hear some messages from the Ascended Masters. Not that you can't hear them through me because they all yabber to me as well. But, you know, we're all in this together. I, don't, I like to talk about what I receive as well as what others receive because it's not just about me and what I can do. It's about what we can all do together. That's why I have to show. Love you all. Remember to buy the book. You know it. Awakened by Death. I'll catch you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>